This episode of Big Stick Energy is brought to you by Woodchuck Hard Cider. Imagine it's Saturday and you usually get a beer because you're sweet enough as is. But every once in a while, you want to switch it up and get a cider. Woodchuck is awesome because they have so many rad flavors that are outside of your typical cider pool. You know that you want something more than apple or maybe you want apple. It's up to you. This year marks Woodchuck's 30th anniversary, and to celebrate, they have brought back a few fan favorites from over the years, like their Blueberry, Barrel Select, and Dark and Dry Ciders. Head over to their website, www.woodchuck.com, to check out their newly launched online cider store, now shipping to 32 states across the U.S. You can also follow along with their Artist Spotlight series on Instagram, which features creatives from across the country, each of whom have contributed to their own artistic piece as tribute to Woodchuck's 30 years of creativity in cider making. Woodchuck Cider, America's original hard cider. Hello, it's Monday, and this is another episode of Big Stick Energy. It's me, Renee. Tori cannot be here today, so I'm doing this intro, and normally Tori does it, but I'm trying my best. So you can find me at Renee McCurds and Tori at Tori A. Alina on the gram. We're on the Out of Bounds Collective at Out of Podcast is the Instagram for that one. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Leave us a review. We want to know how we're doing. Hit us up if you have any suggestions, anyone you want to see on the show. Let us know. Um, Today, 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 we are talking to Stephen Chalesky. I've been following him for quite a while. And uh, when I watched his new film called Out West, I knew we had to get him on. I knew that this was something that would be worth telling. He's a professional photographer based in Jackson Hole. And I, there's just so, so much power in sharing stories and sharing experiences. Tori and I become better humans with each and every episode we do with you guys, with these guests that we have on have been such phenomenal people. So it's such a privilege to share Stephen's experiences with you all. And I can only hope that someone will listen to this podcast or watch Out West and feel just a little bit more comfortable with their truth, whatever that is. Um, Out West, uh, we really like talk about it in this episode, but to just sum it up, it's a little bit of Stephen's coming out story and his story of finding belonging and finding community in a ski industry that does not always support that. It's an industry that's very heteronormative. It's such a breath of fresh air to see good storytelling. So with that in mind, let's drop this episode. And we're going to get started here with Stephen Chalesky. Dropping in three, two, one. Stephen, it is so nice to have you on the podcast today. Do you just want to do like a brief introduction to everybody about, you know, who you are, quick speed round? Yeah. Um, so I am a action sports photographer based in Jackson, Wyoming. I'm originally from Virginia. And so, yeah, being out West is great. Um, yeah, I don't know. How, how in-depth should we go here? <laughs> when did you move out west? Uh, so I, yeah, so I guess I moved out west in 2012. I went to school at the University of Colorado, and that's sort of where everything started for me um, in terms of just, like, really growing outdoor interest, growing an interest in the ski industry um, and just being outside and sort of also, you know, definitively knowing that I really wanted to pursue photography full-time. And so... Yeah, for me, I went to school there. I studied environmental studies and I sort of started to really, I was actually a snowboarder at the time and I really like started to go a lot. It was, it was you know, comparatively to Virginia, it was very accessible in Colorado. I wouldn't say I-70 makes it accessible today. But, um, you know, at the time it felt accessible and we were able to ski, you know, 30 to, to 50 days a year, really, um, while being a full-time student, which was pretty special. And at the time I wanted to, work in ski resort marketing. So I, I interned for Vail Resorts, which was headquartered just, you know, 15 miles outside of Boulder. So I worked for there for a while. Um, definitely got my start uh, there. And then I sort of was just in like a marketing internship and, and didn't love it, but I did love 
the photography side of, of seeing that and seeing how the company was using it and knowing that that was maybe more the place I wanted to be. And so I started to just kind of do it as much as I could. It, it really definitely began as just like bringing my camera on the weekend, like shooting my friends skiing at, at Breckenridge or a basin or Vale or wherever. And, um, I'd say that's when that interest kind of grew. Uh, and then it, it stayed sort of stagnant. Like I didn't really feel like my career there was the dream that I thought it was going to be. And, um, I transferred at the time to what was IntraWest and became Altera and, and started the Icon Pass and all of that and sort of did the same type of role there. And I, I, I much preferred the environment there. Like I thought, I actually thought the corporate environment at Altera was really, really good. Um, and it was a good group of people I was working with and I liked that. But I, I think I, I always had this like, just wanted to live in a mountain town dream. And I, I kind of, at the time, thought it was going to be like Aspen or Telluride. Like those were two places I was fixated on just because I had visited them a bunch and and just wanted to to be in the mountains. And Colorado was kind of all I knew in terms of like skiing out west at the time. And then I had a friend who... I went to college with a good friend whose parents were planning to retire in Jackson and I got an opportunity to, you know, they, they basically pushed their retirement back a year and, and had this house here that they had purchased. And so I had that like dream set up of getting to come live here for a season for essentially no money, um, which came like on Christmas Eve, I think that opportunity came to me. And then the day after Christmas, I left, <laughs> I left, I like was done. I was like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm done with the front range of Colorado. Like I'm going to go try this. Um, Altera like allowed me to go work remote. So I didn't have to like fully give that up at the time. And I, yeah, I spent a season in Jackson. I bought the expensive season pass. I, yeah, I, and I just like really, really liked it. And I think for me at the time, I was like still in the closet with that, you know, part of my identity. And it was the end of that season. And I just really wanted to like, it didn't feel like it was it yet. Like it felt like there was more, you know, I was there with my friend and then one other friend that had come from college to do the same thing. And, and it felt like, you know, they very much just wanted to like, you know, spend a season or two here and, and do the thing. And I think for me, it felt like I wanted a little bit more than that. And uh, so I, yeah, I I tried to figure out a way to to stay here longer. And, and I think at the end of that season, I had no idea. I just knew that that's what I wanted. And then I also knew that I was like pretty deeply kind of unhappy with a lot of parts of myself at the time. And so I went after my first season of Jackson, I went on this long road trip, which is sort of detailed and out West a little bit in the film. Um, you know, really with a goal of just like figuring out like why I was so discontented, like why I wasn't happy. And that ended up being like five months. That's when I first went to Canada for the first time. Like, it, you know, by the end of it, I was, I was in Vancouver. I drove through British Columbia and then I spent a good amount of time in Alberta and Jasper and Banff national parks and all of that. And then, you know, I think that road trip was where I first acknowledged my sexuality, like where I really came out to myself, which I think people don't realize is like part of the process, but like, yeah, you like can't say those words even to yourself. And so I think like that road trip was where, I was first able to tell myself that and that was in writing. I still could not say them out loud. I like just remember being like very upset in my car and um, I'm trying to think of what it's called now. The uh, I, I might say long, but like the like Malign Lake or whatever in Jasper National Park. I was like in the parking lot there sleeping in my car, which you were not supposed to do. Um, <laughs> I was in the parking lot there and like, that's where it happened for me. But I remember like writing it down, but I still couldn't even say it to myself in that setting, which was like a really interesting feeling because it's, you're still so deeply uncomfortable with it. Um, and essentially at the end of that road trip, it, you know, the last place I went was like Yellowstone and Grand Teton. I kind of came back and I, I connected with a few people that I had met the past season, like Veronica Paulson and Sophia Schwartz. And they were like, you should, we want to do this trips to Japan and and go ski in Japan and, and like make a little film about it and shoot photos and at the time that was enough for me to be like okay I'm gonna like be in Jackson and, and do that like that sounds far more enticing than anything else and um that was kind of when I was like all right like I'm gonna 
I'm going to be here in Jackson. And so I think that was, that's really what got me here was, was that. And then I think, you know, kind of what happened after that is a whole other story that I feel like we should maybe talk about (laughs) separately. But, you know, I think that's, that's the long form of, of how I (laughs) found myself in Jackson. Those girls are great. They They are are great. Yeah. They're awesome. Both both badasses. What's, Let's get into the story. Because <laughs> I know like that was a film project that whole year, right? Yeah. Was so that, that what was... you're invited? Like you were working Yeah, with so they, it was called project. Greater Than Some. It was like a, yeah, low budget film project that at the time was the best opportunity that could have fallen on my plate. And it ended up being, um, yeah, it ended up being Sophia and Veronica and then Tammy Rasinger and Laura Gaylord and Max Martin and uh, Susie Thies was the other filmmaker who made out West. And that's how we met was on that trip. So um, very cool. <laughs> I was wondering who made out West. Cause like I have praises to sing. <laughs> I have praises. I'm just going to say them all right now because I like cannot, I like cannot contain it. With <laughs> but uh, I first watched that and I was like, all right, we got to get Steven on. Like this video is amazing like just the development of it and the development of your story and just the way that it goes from isolation to community and by the time it gets to that last scene at the end like I felt like my heart was bursting and I was like (laughs) almost in tears and like that as a filmmaker is what you want out of the people that are watching it emotion you made it like you did the thing like that is (laughs) thank you I'm I'm glad it yeah that. i think that's amazing i would just like everybody oh. to know that anytime renee is giving someone a compliment like even me like if she's trying to tell me how bad of a bitch she thinks i am she's like you did it you did the <laughs> thing that's like renee's tagline for everything she's like the thing nailed- and that's like encompasses <laughs> rad shit <laughs> like- oh my god yeah. i love that that's the video is rad shit like we've talked about it before too is there's ski porn and there's always going to be a place for ski porn but just especially this last year, the pandemic, I just have this thirst for stories and experiences and just real and relatable media like that. I think, yeah, I think we're yeah. moving. I think one, one, first, I need to credit the genius behind that to, yeah, Susie Thies and Sophia Jaramillo were the two filmmakers on it and both really good friends and both doing amazing work and both doing amazing work to promote inclusivity in the industry that we all know needs it. Um, and can't say enough good things about them. And then I think also Jack Hessler, who was our editor um, from Salt Lake city, who, uh, you know, also recently came out as gay. Um, he was a big part of it. And I think, I think having that component was really important um, as well because it, you know, it was a story that mattered to him too and was deeply personal to him too. So I think, yeah, it wouldn't have happened without them um and and just like all creative geniuses how what was it like releasing that for you yeah um I think you know it was it was a lot of different emotions I think for one um it came very quickly after I came out and I think like coming out is like opening what I've learned has like opened I think it you know in the time when you're in the closet you very much almost view it as like the finish line as like oh if I like get to that point like everything's gonna be okay but then I think what really happened is like you come out and you realize how many doors you had kept completely closed you know within yourself all these parts of your identity that you never even thought to start to process or started to like understand or or you know make sense of which was really overwhelming. It's really the beginning of a huge process. And and it's a huge step in being vulnerable with a part of yourself that no matter how much progress we've made, and we have made a lot of progress, like I I still think society is is a little bit against it, like overall. Like I think it's structured in a way, and certainly our industry is structured in a way that doesn't make it an approachable or inclusive space for a queer person to step into. And so I think, yeah, I look at like, yeah, I'm an action sports photographer and this is really the first cohesive story about a queer person that's been told in skiing. That seems shocking to me, you know, like I, you know, I think that's, that's a little bit crazy, but I, you know, I felt like it was sort of a step in vulnerability that 
that I had to that I had to take one to to feel to start to feel proud of it and feel like okay with that part of my identity but also in that knowing that it might be impactful in creating that space for other people which I think is the most important part because I I just look at it like you know I think anytime someone shares something that's that's their truth but might be uncomfortable because it's not the norm in society or the norm in our industry. Um, it, it's a, it's a scary step to take. It's like really scary, but I think you look at it like, could this, could this create more space? Could this, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to go as far as like maybe save someone's life, but maybe like, you know, I think like since releasing that film, like, yeah, a number of people have come out to me like over Instagram DM and they haven't told anyone else that. And I think that's amazing. That's like super amazing. And I think to yeah. be able to like offer encouraging words back to them is super amazing. So I think in like sharing that truth, you realize like how many people share that with you. And, 100%. Um, and I think that's just like really important and really beautiful. And it outweighs the negatives. Like I obviously knew there would be a bunch of ignorant comments on stuff. Like, of course there are, you know, like you release, I release out West and it's like, yeah, it's been overwhelmingly positive, but yeah, there's people that are like, I don't give an F who you sleep with. Like, why do you think we care? Like, this is just skiing. And I'm like, no, skiing's fucking political. I'm sorry, but like it is. And it's like to acknowledge it as anything, but as ignorant. And I think it's, it's, it's silly. And I think it's important to share those stories because I look at like, as like a queer person in high school, when I was like back in Virginia, you have all these, you have all these stereotypes of what a gay person or what a queer person is. And you feel like you might have to fit into that mold. And I just like wonder, like, you know, you feel like you have to fit in that mold because you don't see examples elsewhere. And like, maybe I'm trying to be part of an example in, in skiing. I think it can exist all across the board, totally out of outdoor sports in all these different industries um but I just like I don't want someone to like shut down their dreams at like such a young age because they feel like they're not allowed to go be that because they're supposed to fit into this box so I think it's really important to be you know to create an example for what it can be anything it can be anything and and anyone can be yeah so that's yeah I think scary but I think we're at that point where it's time that if people feel comfortable doing so it's time to step up Hundred percent. I just want to say that, like the fact that you took that, you know, initiative to to share your story is that's really freaking hard to do, and it's it it is confronting. But I think you have helped a lot of people, and that's something that um, we've noticed a lot with this podcast. Is our mission is to elevate voices across the industry and have these types of conversations. And the number of people that have DM'd me and Renee and the uh, like Wumtang account and all that kind of stuff saying that they finally feel represented and heard mm-hmm. and seen and like they belong is amazing. And we've said this before, but the collective response from so many people and the fast growth of Wumtang, like I don't think everybody knows that Wumtang really started to like take shit seriously last October. Like last October, we were under a thousand followers and we just passed 7,000 two wow. days ago. Amazing. That growth in a year is freaking bananas. And that is statistically relevant to the need of change in this industry. And like you said, it's not just skiing. It is political. The mm-hmm. industry tells us who we should be. A hundred percent. Yeah, it, it's absolutely become that. I, I mean, it's not become that. It just is. And I think like people that like reduce it down to like, can't we just ski? I'm like, I'm tired of you. Like, I know we're telling you like not cancel culture. I love I'm that. Like, I love that. But I'm like, that. you are like... <laughs> Like I'm, I don't know. And maybe it's like too much to say, but I'm just like, there's a number of fucking people in this industry that I'm like, yeah, your time's up. I'm sorry. Like that, that like antiquated just method of, of whatever you think this is and that it's only yours and that it can't be shared and that you deserve all of it and no one else deserves any of it is done. It's just over. There's no more time for it. Fucking preach (laughs) yeah you said that so much better than i could ever say i feel like i have like a you know like a business like um a lot of people see the community side of womb tank but they don't see the business side of womb tank and the business side like um all my 
friends that know me really well or colleagues, they call it CEO Tori. Because when she comes out, it's like articulate, like strategy, just like when we sit down with business just owners like and she hammer. comes out, people <laughs> like... are just, they're just like, holy shit. And that's like a whole other thing. But, you know, like I said that we don't want to cancel anybody because you want to give them the opportunity to move forward with us. But yeah. That and, that, and that's what I'm saying. To... I just, think, I no, just but... think there's a number of people that have like denied that opportunity and have instead take instead taken it as an attack on them a hundred percent and that's like, what i mean is like give them an opportunity but if they don't that's not our yeah. problem no then it's right? just like your your space is over here pretty much yeah so long. and i think the number of people coming <laughs> together in these communities where it's like they need to like shape up or get the fuck out mm-hmm. is uh really powerful and it's holding them to a different level of accountability that they've been able to swerve in previous years so like totally. i think like as shitty as 2020 and 2021 and holy shit it's almost 2022 has been it's kind of been like a rally on so many topics like society has just been overturned in the last three years absolutely Um, i mean a lot of a lot of you know hopefully progress (laughs) but the time is now like this is the time i was thinking about it Earlier this year, I was on a trail run in the spring. Like, I distinctly remember it because I was listening to back-to-back podcasts with Taylor Lundquist. Mm -hmm. And as I was listening to her, I was just thinking how it really isn't that long ago that Gus Kenworthy came out and everyone lost their freaking minds. And it's like, it's 2021. Like, I, I have a gay family member, like someone I grew up with my entire life. She came out as gay when she left for university because we both grew up in like a super Catholic upbringing, which like I no longer am a part of. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like partly Same. because of that, and like maybe <laughs> I can, or maybe I will go into it then. So like, I grew up super duper Catholic. Um, like went to Sunday school every single Sunday. My mom's side of the family is like French, small village. Mm-hmm. Like that, it's like the epitome of capitalism. <laughs> And my mom's sister is gay, lives with her partner, has for many, many years. And I didn't know her for most of my life. And it's only since I was like, I think university age, my mom has really rekindled that relationship. And we stopped going to church kind of like when I was in high school-ish, because my sister and I played hockey every single weekend. So we kind of lost out on it. And now I just look back at how... I don't care if people DM me, whatever, but how brainwashed I was. I have a funny church story and I have, my family's not religious at all, but the only time I went to church actually was when I had a crush on a boy that went to church <laughs> when I was in like grade six or seven. And I would go to like Wednesday night youth groups because I had a crush on him, Just which is not like... okay. <laughs> I was I was a weird little emo child. I mean, we've all been the there. Silver scene, I, so. you know, maybe not <laughs> yeah. going to church, but we've all been there in other ways. Right? But my uh, my family was not religious, but they like my mom's side of the family grew up in Innisfail. And if anybody knows where that is, it's like this super small little flat area town just outside of Red Deer. And like, I don't think I've ever seen a person of color there or like very little diversity. And uh, yeah, my family was the same. Like my grandma, you know, would openly have conversations about um, not understanding like trans people or, you know, getting upset about our tax dollars going towards like non-binary washrooms to make them feel safe. And like all that kind of stuff. And like, as I was growing up, the more I learned about the stuff, the more angry I got and the more I could see patterns and how everybody reacted to it in my environment. Um, and I, I grew up in a very similar kind of situation, like not a very inclusive family. And I knew that like, I struggled with it a lot relative to my mental health. And the more I got into intersectional feminism, I ended up distancing myself from my family a little bit. And we're just starting to have a healthy relationship again, as I've started going to therapy and working through some mental health stuff, but I've also had to like, you know, learn to step back on some of those things if I do want to be into things with my family. And it just shows that like these types of beliefs and systems are very prevalent um, in those undercultured and underrepresented communities that don't have diversity. They don't hear these experiences. Like Mm -hmm. they don't learn about all of this stuff. And 
relative to the industry, I think the the ski industry, a good way to put it is it's like this hyper representation of the patriarchy with very, very unhealthy levels of masculinity and painting yeah. anything that doesn't fit that heteronormative cisgendered norm as being weak. And I know that's something that we wanted to talk about, like, you know, how did that shape your journey and accepting these parts of yourself? Because the patriarchy says that anything outside of a, you know, cisgendered heteronormative relationship is, it's taken us a long time to come to a point where, you know, people are approaching it differently in society and we have a really long freaking way to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's like a, there's a lot around that. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, you know, I think it prevented me in some ways from almost doing it earlier, um, from almost like coming out earlier because I don't, there, there's like no way to say that this was a, super approachable or welcoming space to feel like I could, you know, show up and show my, show myself and, and be true to myself. I think it's, yeah, I think that's something like people don't necessarily like realize is when you, yeah, even, even after being out as gay, it's like you, you go and you like go into a room or you go into like any social setting and you like, you like hyper analyze and read that situation and i'm like okay like how much of my real identity can i share here how much of myself can i be um like it, it's you know it's even back to like you're like having a conversation with someone and like as like a queer person it's like you know they are like do you have a girlfriend and it's like do i answer that as just no or as no and i'm gay like you know i still that that's something that like every day like i or not every day but you know often i yeah i have to like confront and and figure out like is it safe to say that or is this person gonna you know immediately judge and have a lot of opinions and i think there are a lot of people in the ski industry and in the outdoor industry that would and that do um and so yeah i think that's just like super intimidating and i think like again yeah it's like yeah you know i skied here at, at jackson for two or three years, three years before I came out. And it's, and it's just like, it's, it's little things that people don't realize just the language you hear every day on the mountain of just this like macho, like big dick energy. That's just like, you know, coming just like everywhere, like in lift lines and stuff. It's in, in like, I still hear like gay used as like a adjective so much like of just like, that was gay. Like, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how <laughs> how are people still saying that? But I think, you know, like someone saying that, it's it it when you're in the closet, it scares you. You're like, I'm not, why would I want to show these people myself if they're saying that? And even if those people later would claim to be accepting, it's like you're not trying that hard if you're not being at least self-aware enough to know that what you're saying is promoting an extremely toxic environment. I love this topic. I love <laughs> words. Words are like narrative telling and storytelling through visual, like verbal elements, written elements, anything is something that I am deeply passionate about. And that's why I've gotten into like branding and marketing, because mm -hmm. you can change one word in a sentence and it changes the entire context and rhetoric of it. It's the same thing with imagery, like mm -hmm. different angles, symbolism, uh, depictions, uh, representation, everything changes a narrative. And for those yep. people that don't feel like they belong in society and if they're othered, that shifts it. And I think in the ski industry, you know, like the Jay skis thing that it blew up yeah. a couple weeks Jesus. ago, right? Like <laughs> if you went into the new schoolers comments after they posted Jason's apology, the number of people that were like, wow, you can't just like ski anymore. Like oh what a God. bunch of fucking snowflakes. And I'm like, buddy, I'm like, how ignorant can you be? Like you are showing your privilege in a disgusting way right now. Like for people mm -hmm. to say it's just a word, you can't say anything anymore. You need to be hypercritical. It's like, no, it's not that hard to like shift your narrative and to be inclusive. Like, mm -hmm. I, I agree. I, mm -hmm. I just like, obviously I have a side, but 
I just think we're on your side. Otherwise, I'm out. <laughs> but um, no, I I mean it's it's it just feels like there's a right and a wrong anymore, and For and sure. one it, one is holding on to what was and obviously there's a majority of our society that aligns with that and feels extremely threatened right now and so anything that potentially changes that or or acknowledges anything but is yeah is threatening to those people and so i i get it but i i'm like also like whatever <laughs> like <laughs> like you're wrong like i really you know i just i think like in this case i think that like it's just I do. I, I think there needs to be space for everybody here too. And I think, yeah, I think these brands have some capacity to, to be on the right side if they choose to be. So, yeah. you know, and I think you look at like certain brands that are doing like a really good job of doing that. Um, you know, whether it's like in the, it, you know, whether it's like in the hard goods side or in the resort side, I think there's, yeah, there's brands that are making it clear which side they want to be on. And I think, and then I think, you know, that that's important to me. So, <laughs> but in terms of just like wording, I, I, it is uncomfortable. It's mm -hmm. uncomfortable to change what you are doing because you, someone tells you that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And we face it, Tori and I used to describe my humor as savage. And then that yeah. is now a word that we can't use because it is derogatory towards indigenous people. So mm -hmm. we scrapped that word from our vocabulary, which was something we used to say all the time. Me too. I, yeah, and I, and I, you, sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but like you think yeah. it's so hard to remove a word from your vocabulary. And like, once you like programmed yourself that it's wrong, like, you know, I think like my, like that word in particular, Sophia Harmio on my project, like, brought up to me at one point and um because I used it a lot too and you know for maybe like two weeks it was hard and then you're just like it's just gone you know <laughs> like you just <laughs> pick another word like I yeah I think it's a lot easier than people think and that's There's exactly actually... what we did is we just picked another word sorry one yeah. more story and then you can go okay <laughs> and then the, the other thing that I like really have been trying to do lately is when it comes to ableism and mental health is not describing things as crazy or insane and trying to take some of mm -hmm. those words out of my vocabulary. And sometimes that means I end up using more like maybe you could call them juvenile words, but you end up calling things bananas. Or like, yeah, that's yeah. one of no, my I favorite words. You know? crazy, I just yeah, crazy is a bananas. word that, yeah, I've recently started <laughs> to think about. Also like a conversation like Sophia and I have had but um yeah it's it's interesting um yeah it, it's i don't know yeah and at first you just catch yourself but eventually you'll find other words that you can replace you it find with. other words and it's okay to catch yourself and it's okay to be wrong and like it's okay to like but as long as you're like trying here and making an active effort and and also doing it on your own you know like i think that's something people don't realize like it's not it's not like the BIPOC community or the queer community or, you know, female skiers. Like it, it's not their job to like constantly like personally educate everybody because, because they like can't use the internet. <laughs> like, I don't know. You know like, there's enough resources. <laughs> yes! Like, I, you know, like it's like you want to be anti-racist, like go read a few books and like figure it out. Don't like call your one black friend and be like, I'm genuinely curious like you know and I feel that way like and obviously like I know that that person's coming from the right place of like wanting to learn but I think people need to realize like it's exhausting like 100%. you don't you don't need to like and like you know queer like queer female whatever like I think like do it we're all, we're adults like <laughs> yes, we, we have we have said... so many tools in our life the most tools we've ever had to access any amount of information you want and if you are passionate and care about, you know, being, being more understanding and being more inclusive, then you have all the tools available to you to do that. 100%. So. We literally said the same thing to Jay in our last episode. And anybody, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it because we get into this stuff in a lot more depth. 
But as an ally, both business, individual, all that kind of stuff, the biggest difference is that the person that is speaking up towards their experiences has trauma. And it is not okay to ask them to educate you so that you can benefit off of that education. You need to do the work or you yeah. need to pay them for their time and for their expertise. Yes, yes, yeah. Like, They're not like personal up. consultants that work for free. 100%. Like... It's not their job to help you. You are a self-sufficient individual human being who has the capabilities to help yourself. Um, relative to people getting upset about changing one word, something that I have always struggled to understand with these issues is how somebody that has privilege in society when they're confronted with these issues centralizes themselves as the victim mm -hmm. which i think yeah. is really interesting like they feel like they're being attacked yeah like and all like they're <laughs> yes and i think that yes 100 percent. not and all it's like, sorry it's... i shouldn't say all <laughs> like the ones lot, that feel though. attacked <laughs> yeah. well a lot of them don't really they've never had to like think about their privilege before mm -hmm. right totally. and yeah. it's like when you start to outline it for them, they get very defensive. And it's almost mm -hmm. like, like, I think that if anybody wanted to dive into like the deep, deep research of rhetoric and narratives in society and how popular culture has shaped like systemic oppression and a stratified society, one thing that you should look at is, you know, how we have connotative associations to specific words. So like racism, for example, um, it's very vilified in Western society, especially following like slave, uh, you know, the slave trade, all that kinds of stuff. So if you're to call a white person a racist, it's like one of the biggest insults. But inherently, every white individual is benefiting from a stratified society. Yeah. So there are aspects in their perceptions that are naturally racist because they that's are not like aware. Is, but that's like what it. people don't want to understand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's the same thing as learning how to use a different word, like in your mind. Like, you know, for example, um, Christians have a very like, or Catholics, sorry, I'm not religious, my dudes, but some people have a very specific association to like Satan or the devil. For mm -hmm. me, I don't see, like, I don't have a connotation like associated with that. Like I watched a movie or a documentary about like the church, the satanic church in the United States. And I went to my stepmom, I was like, I think I'm a Satanist. And she was like, oh my God. She was like, how <laughs> dare you? Like, this is so messed up. And I was like, no, no, like you see Satanism as this thing because of your upbringing and the associations in your brain. I see it like X, Y, Z. And the cool thing about your brain is it's elastic, right? So that plasticity, you can rewire your brain to associate different things with different things. So if you can break down those connotative words like racism that are inherently negative and start to program yourself to being like, oh, I do have inherent privilege here. Oh, I am not the victim. I am not being attacked. This is an opportunity for me to learn. This is an opportunity for me to see things in a broader spectrum and like look at things through a more educated lens. Like mm -hmm. we just need to learn how to destigmatize some of those words in our brains so that we can be more inclusive because I've never, ever, ever understood how people who are not affected by certain areas of oppression centralize themselves as the victim until I started to learn about marketing and how associations are shaped in our brains based off of the different inputs we get from mm -hmm. all around us but yeah that was a science bomb everybody no bomb. <laughs> it was a good one. One. Yeah. <laughs> i think something that we did in a couple previous episodes was we listed ways that um certain like privileged groups or businesses could try to be more inclusive based on different things that we've delineated as othering so one thing that we've talked about today is language. So being aware of it um, is very important because it shapes narratives. There's actually this, uh, this thing called a, uh, you can look at it in racism. So it's called the racism, like system of oppression. And you could also apply it to like any other oppressed group as well. But, you know, like at the bottom of the totem pole, certain jokes like that, like saying something is gay as an insult or, um, <clears throat> you know, like even the word like, like saying like, oh, that person's a pussy. Like that connotatively yeah. says that femininity is weak. When really, pussies can take a goddamn beating, okay? I don't yeah. know anybody that's gotten a kick in the balls and stood after. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I would just like to say that. But when you use that language specifically at the bottom, even though you think it might not be harmless, there's somebody further up the pyramid that does have those inherent beliefs and they are validated through hearing or seeing that language or rhetoric. So that's something that is very important to deconstruct um, within our industry. Uh, actionable 
like not woke washed or performative bullshit from businesses. That's something we've been preaching since day one. But what are some other ways that we can break down that like really harmful uh, heteronormative sense of masculinity that's not inclusive? Like what are some things you think we can do better? I mean, I, I think like on an everyday basis is, and I know that this is like, you know, maybe commonly said, but I think a lot of people are often like afraid to do it. And it's just like holding each other accountable. And I think like a lot of people claim, you know, to have this be their values or their morals or whatever. But then when it comes to the, you know, situation where they see something that isn't inclusive or isn't just, or they see something that is toxic, it's easy to be a bystander. And it always is. And it's like, I think like, you know, more and more humans like to avoid confrontation <laughs> and it's easier to do so. And unless we're behind a screen um <laughs> then it's easy to like say a bunch of bullshit um but i think just like yeah holding holding each other accountable like i think even if it's your best friend like you call that person out you educate them in a nice and approachable way on why that you know why what they said is not appropriate or what they said is wrong or or what you know how that might be perceived by some people um and so yeah, I think that's like one of the most important things because like I sit, you know, like, like, like I'm saying, like when I'm in a setting and someone like says that's gay or whatever, like no one's going to say anything. No one's going to say anything. And it's like, I'm going to do I have, should I be the one that like has to like, I don't know. But then it's like, it also sh shows me that like, if I'm not there, then, then definitely nothing is going to be said. And then I think it just like goes on and on and on. And so I think even though, you know, most people are in like inherently good and like want these things and, and, and agree with it. Like just making sure you, yeah, you, you do that, like step up, say it. I have, and be respectful, like be respectful. Yeah, I have. And it, this pertains like entirely to the female experience in um, extreme sports, but it's called the queen bee hypothesis. And I think it probably could be extrapolated to what you're talking about. But in this article, they talked about how it's really disruptive to call attention to these issues because then you risk losing your position in the community if you are like the token female, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes it difficult for yourself if you're the one that speaks out because you don't necessarily want to be the torchbearer or the yeah. torch carrier. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you don't want to be seen as weak for or like ostracized yourself for speaking out that someone else is not saying the right thing or is not doing the right thing so it is like a vulnerable position that you are putting yourself in but it like it's something that you have to do absolutely and i think it's one of those things yeah it would be nice like i don't think it's necessarily should always be the responsibility of like the oppressed person in that situation <laughs> you know but like you sort of have to take it on if no one else is going to unfortunately and that's exhausting but um yeah, I think like that's like the biggest thing people could do is like just like don't brush it off. Like don't just ignore it. Like just say something. And definitely and, and try to try to yeah, just make a difference there. Change it. Definitely. I know that like um some of my friends who are gay in the ski community, even talking about like uh dating, for example, because it's not an inclusive space. It's really difficult to find, you know, uh, other people that have the same um, interests as you because, you know, it's it's not a safe place for people in the LGBTQIAS plus. Are those all of them? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, to to come out and to be part of the community, and it's really freaking hard and like you shouldn't have to step up like that um you know one thing I was really stoked on looking back on it as a younger individual before I started thinking about um like there's certain context in a professional setting when I hear someone say something where I have not felt okay saying something in rebuttal to educate them on why it was wrong because I'm like shit this could harm like my professional career or xyz but when I was younger like I think like 18 to 20 
I remember I was at Commonwealth in Calgary. If anybody's been there, it is the most disgusting bar on the planet. I got broke eight <laughs> times the last time I was Ugh. there. It was freaking horrible. Oh, sorry, I, I thought I you meant dancing. disgusting in a different way at first, but I was like. Oh, no. It's disgusting on all levels. Like anything you can think of that would make a bar make you feel uncomfortable, that is Commonwealth. Embodied to the there. Okay. But I remember I was there with some friends and there was this guy who was dancing like pretty abnormally and a little bit weird. And that's fine. He was having a great freaking time, like in the zone, doing whatever. And there's this group of like really tall, like very like Western typical good looking dudes. And they were all taking out their phones and filming him. And I was drunk. And when I get drunk, I will say anything to anybody. If I don't like you, you know it. If I have a problem with it, you say, I will say it. And I was, I'm like five foot four. I was like a hundred pounds soaking wet. And I walked up to all these like six foot two dudes. And I was like, how would you feel if that was your brother and somebody was filming them? Yeah. And they were all just like, so shocked that this little human just came up and was like, get your shit together. And they all put their phones away. I didn't know them. I didn't owe them anything. No, but that's a great example of like doing it. Yeah. Get your shit together. Like, what are you doing? Just, yeah. it's yeah. not that hard to try. Yeah. <laughs> no, the it's moral not. No, of this episode, not. get your shit together. Yeah. Get your no, fucking like, it's hard. shit it's hard. together. And I, and I think like when it is, like again, like I think when you're in those situations and like even if like, okay, like if, like if someone said something that was like derogatory towards a queer person and then like being that queer person, like you feel like you're the one that has to speak up. Like sometimes it's hard because what they said is hurtful and you're hurt in that moment. And like, you're also realizing that you're maybe in a room with 10 people that have no, for some reason, aren't even capable of empathizing with why that was hurtful. And so that's, and so sometimes you just stay silent because it's tough. And it shouldn't be on you to step up in that situation. Like, no, that is like, I know that through all the bullying I experienced as a kid, if I stood up for myself, it often led to more ostracizing or Mm -hmm. more bullying and more othering because they wouldn't like they would find something like a fallacy in what I was saying to turn it against me. But if somebody that they knew and respected said something, it's a lot more impactful, which is also absolutely freaking horrible. But to like be the person that is affected by that to step up and say something is like it's not easy. There's mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety. It can like take a while to come back down from it. Being in the environment can cause like a significant fight or flight response. Like it can be very difficult to unpack those things if you're constantly in that environment um, and learn how to feel safe and like you have value. And I don't think a lot of people understand how difficult that is. Totally. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody be sassy, drunk, 18-year-old Tori, okay? <laughs> okay, now we're going, we're going back to seriousness now. Oh, no, no. But I just wanted to say, we- like, relative to the, the concept of, like, language, one thing that you mentioned was being in a space and, like, somebody asking you if you had a girlfriend. One thing that I've really tried to do is replace boyfriend with partner because I think yeah. it's more inclusive. And I yep. think it's a very simple thing that can make people feel comfortable. I agree. I, I think that's, like, a... Yeah. And I've talked with a lot of people about that, like in saying, like, I think it just like, that's an approachable question always. And I have a lot of friends that, you know, are heterosexual and that's like what they say. And I think that's, that's where we should be. (laughs) And that's where we should, that's where our goal should be. And that's what it is. Um, Or significant other, like, and you know, all of those are like neutral. And like, I think, um, yeah. I just that's if, that's like one of the easiest steps that I think someone can take in making it approachable. And then you're when you ask that question to someone, you know, you anything can come back. 100%. And a cool game that everybody can play with themselves to understand what they associate with like feminine, masculine, and then what would be like a non binary, like non like, um, you know, like relative to somebody's uh, sexuality as well is think about a concept, a word, or an activity and what you would associate with it. Mm -hmm. So like say hardware store employee, Mm -hmm. I immediately think masculine. So when I go into a hardware store, I look for a woman because I'm like, oh damn, okay. Or it's like with mountaineering, it's like masculine. The outdoors, masculine. It's like that's where if you have that idea of who would be doing a specific role or what's associated with a specific word, that's where you realize that you have been programmed to think that way through different aspects of rhetoric in society. So that's a cool game you can play with yourself that helps to start deconstruct some of those mental processes. Totally. Yeah, I like that a lot. 
do you have any like when you were coming out do you have any role models that were there for you in the ski industry because we've talked about there's really like not a lot of people was there an event <laughs> that set it off or was there someone that you were looking up to or it like made it feel more safe for you or yeah um i mean i i, I mean i would say both of the people that you mentioned were role models actually um, I wouldn't say that those were like what triggered me to come out, but I think they created examples of what could be in this industry. Um, and I think, you know, Gus Kenworthy was, was big and, you know, already like an Olympian and, and, you know, well-established. And I think that was like a good way to just like touch a bunch of people, you know, even far beyond the industry as like, I think a lot of like, which is just a reach that I think Olympians have. Um, can have that you know maybe someone dressed in like free skiing doesn't have it's like he's yeah on national television um and, and that was inspiring i think like dave um amaral was like yeah i mean i i actually like messaged him like just like a few months ago being like yeah like you probably don't know this but like i followed you for a long time and it like meant something to me for sure um especially seeing him like work in marketing and be intense and he is intense <laughs> for sure. Um, strong opinioned. And I think that's kind of like what we need. Like it's good to have someone be super loud. Um, even though he's like sort of like obviously working out of the industry now, but very involved in the industry and, um, and, and well connected and, and has important weight. And I think like seeing like, just like listening to like, I don't know if it was like a webinar or something he did, like talk about like what happened like at snowbird a little bit and and like hearing that was just like wild to me but also kind of par for the course like unfortunately like of like yeah like just you know like people dropping reviews and stuff like on snowbirds whatever google reviews or stuff that were just like super just like just so homophobic and disgusting like you know about just I don't even remember specifically what it was, but it was just like, it was one of those things you just read and just like cringe and you're like, God, like people are disgusting. And it's just like, yeah. Um, so <laughs> tangent, but um, you know, I think like, no, those people were very important. I think for me, it was very much like finding a few people in my daily life here in Jackson that I finally like felt comfortable enough to share that with. Um, and that, that was kind of like what, what tipped it off for me was like feeling like I finally like I think in college and stuff I had a good group of a really good group of friends and stuff but I didn't necessarily at the time feel that they were going to be accepting and so it didn't really feel like a safe space to come out in because I had very much like created an environment around myself that was based in like suppressing that so naturally they didn't seem like the logical people to come out to but I think you know the first few good friends I found in Jackson um created that space for me and that was really good so um and now that's like really flourished which i think is like embodied in out west of just like yeah i surrounded by amazing people they drove to lake tahoe to be a part of that you know i think like that alone speaks volumes um and and it's just been like really special i think like what just the crew we've been able to form here like really in this last like year and a half like it feels like since i came out like everything happened but it, it kind of has like and it's been it's been amazing and it's, it's all, you know, yeah, kind of the token gay person of the group, but, um, but I feel very at home here. It's awesome. So. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I, I just want, I just want everyone to watch out West because I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I think it, it, you know, it really well, it could best tells that story for sure. Yeah, um, we'll link, um, we will link it in the bio for this episode so everybody can have access to it as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. For sure. But no, I feel, yeah, that project was good. And and yeah, it was great to see the brands be involved there. And, and like, I don't know, I, I do genuinely feel like everyone that was involved on that project cared, cared about it beyond being, you know, just this like token example of, of, of being like the gay person for that brand. I think they've all like taken it a little bit of a step further. Like, you know, I think, yeah, it's like important to hire minorities <laughs> in like underrepresented groups and like allow them and, and trust them to, you know, to, to create projects that, you know, 
tell good stories and represent the brand in a, in a positive way and 100 and it was special to like bring everyone together on that for it so do you do you think like part of our brand or our brand and our mission with womb tang and one of the reasons that it means the world to me is that i don't want any young girl coming up in the industry to feel the way that i felt growing up in it and to feel othered and less than and like femininity is weakness um and all of that kind of stuff so i mean okay this is gonna be cheesy but do you have anything that you would like to say to anyone who might be part of that generation who's listening to this who's younger than us about you know taking that space and how to take care of themselves and any tips on how they can kind of yeah yeah um one i think like just like overarching message yeah also maybe just like heard often but like i just want i really want to reach a, a place where i feel that everyone is accepted and included here um and and feels welcome here and i think that's really important and i think yeah there's a lot of work to be done because we have to acknowledge all the barriers that are just in place like systemically that prevent people from ever getting to the point of maybe being able to pursue that. But um, I don't know. I think like my biggest thing I've found is just like prioritize mental health, like, you know, whatever steps you might need to take to, to reach that point, take those, like put those first. I think like, I think for a lot of people even just like finding therapy for the first time takes like a massive you know step into vulnerability and i think that's one thing that i like wish i had done earlier was maybe you know find and i and i had my own reasons for you know not doing that like and everyone might like i i grew up in like a divorced household and like my association with therapy was that it was like court mandated so like you didn't want to really seek that out but then i found in these like later years when i when i've chosen it um it's been incredibly constructive uh And so I think even if you're like not ready to come out to anybody, just like starting to like talk to someone that is a true third party that can hear you. And like, you know, like you don't have to, you don't have to come out to them, but you can like talk about these, you know, individual struggles that you're going through. I I think that would be like an extremely positive step someone could take to, to sort of, you know, start to become comfortable with that side of themselves and also just like normalize you know normalize whatever you're going through it's okay like we're all like we all got issues (laughs) you know a lot of them um yeah I don't know does that sort of answer that (laughs) yeah 100 percent we've said multiple times therapy is hot therapy's great super hot Um, oh it's so hot it's like it shouldn't be a lot of people see therapy as like I'm broken I need help but really it's just a tool to understand yourself better like it's a tool to understand yourself that's what I see and yeah, there are pieces of you that might be broken, but I think like, yeah, we're really like, you know, the reason most people act ways they do in their adult life are because of pre-existing things that have happened to them and whether that was, you know, childhood trauma or trauma from relationships or, you know, a totally different experience, like, you know, anything, like any dramatic experience, like that forms the way you act and you always act in a way that you feel is maybe best protecting yourself in that time. And maybe that that at those times comes off as like unhinged or you're not your best self, but it's like, that's your best self at that time. You're just trying to protect yourself. And so I think, yeah, finding someone to like sort of decode and understand that is really helpful, but also, you know, respecting how much time it takes. Like, it's not like, Oh, this is going to be solved in a few months. Like, you know, I've been like really heavily in it for like a year and a half now. And I, and like, I'm really starting to now feel like, okay, we're making some breakthroughs and there's still a lot of work, but like, it's really, it takes just time. (laughs) It takes a lot of time. I find that therapy would also point out things that like certain behaviors that I didn't realize were the product of something. Mm -hmm. And when my therapist, like my brain loves patterns, like I love seeing connections and things. And when she could point out how a behavior was a result of something in my past or an association that I had, it all of a sudden made a lot more sense. And it also helped me be a lot more compassionate to myself. 
And I think anybody that's experienced like othering or a level of oppression, like your self-worth is inherently damaged from that feeling Mm -hmm. like you don't belong, you don't have worth. And therapy helped me feel like I had value and it Mm -hmm. helped me learn how to trust myself and how to interact with people differently. And all of those things, like going to therapy is just a way of hacking your brain which is totally. super freaking rad. Like who the frick wouldn't want to have the totally. guidebook to this complex like data system that we have in our brains? Like it's yeah. just. And, yeah. I, and I think like, yeah, I mean, there are certainly barriers to it sometimes, but I think it's like always worth exploring Oof. what exists wherever you live because I think there are, there are different, like, you know, like the state of Wyoming, shockingly, um, <laughs> honestly, has like, there are certain areas like counseling centers and stuff here that operate on like a sliding pay scale. And it's like, if you make like under like 50 grand, it's like no cost. And if you make like 50 to a hundred grand, it's like still a really low cost. Like, you know, it's like very, it's more accessible than I think people realize And granted, I'm sure that doesn't exist everywhere, but I think maybe if you are a part of the queer community or something, like I would, I would specifically seek out resources that are, that are built to help those people um, in bigger cities and, you know, certainly bigger cities have organizations in place that are there to help queer youth. And I think it's reach out. <laughs> Always reach Hell out. Hell yeah. Do you want to know something? I've been trying to get in to see my psychologist and they predicted like a mental health crisis wave following the pandemic. <laughs> and I can't get in to see my psychologist because her freaking practice is booked. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm so grateful. So many people are going to therapy. Like, fuck yeah. But also, fuck you. Like, I need to see my therapist. I yeah, don't yeah. want to start over. I'm like, fuck. I know. I, yeah. And that's how I feel. Like, I don't. Yeah. I'm like, I've like stuck with mine recently. Like, who yeah. I like initially started like seeing through like the counseling center here where it was like no cost. And now she like has her own practice. And like, now I do pay her because. Yeah, she knows my shit. I'm not going to try and re-explain it (laughs) at this point. It can be (laughs) traumatic to re-explain it as well. But anybody listening that's like thinking about therapy too, you're not going to jive with every therapist and that's No, try try them and change. Like, yeah. Like when I went into this therapist, I'd already seen a couple and they were not doing it for me. And so when I sat down with this therapist out of like the recommendation from someone in my family, um, I sat down with her and I was like, okay, I don't need tips on journaling. I don't need tips on this. I am exceptionally self-aware. I have done about 80 hours of personal research on this topic. I need strategies and I need cognitive behavioral therapy. I need tools. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay. And then she like, you know, worked with me based off of those things. And like after like our third session, she was like, you are exceptionally self-aware. And she like really... You're allowed to set boundaries. You're allowed to challenge them on things. If they're not listening to your symptoms, or your diagnoses, and you don't feel like you're being heard, you have the ability to leave. You know yourself best. So mm-hmm. I just want everybody to be aware of that as well. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Renee, you <laughs> Sorry, talk. Normalize therapy. That was what I was trying to say, but you couldn't hear it because I was muted. muted. <laughs> Normalized therapy. That's what I want everyone to know. (laughs) Correct. I think that's actually something like therapy teaches you how to talk about your feelings. And that's something about uh, masculinity that is taught to men, which is not inclusive as well, right? Which could lead to people feeling ostracized or othered in the ski industry because those hyper-masculine places showing masculinity is not, I mean, not masculinity, sorry, sharing emotions is not typically deemed with masculinity. Totally. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. I like didn't really so, cry until I came out, and then I, now I cry a lot. But <laughs> it's usually a good thing. So it feels good. It's freaking yeah, healthy. Like for sure, you gotta get it out. Like absolutely, go outside and scream. I don't care what you do, but like get that emotion out. Don't hold it in yourself. If you hold it in, you're just gonna make yourself freaking miserable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You need to uncork that shit. Let those tears fly, baby. Let it flow. And hot tip, if you do it in the shower, they wash away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I always say, I always say that like full faces hide tears because flooding is so hard. (laughs) I just put my full face on and I'll like probably cry about how hard it is. And that's like not necessarily, it is. It is emotional in its own ways, but full faces also hide tears. That's all. I'm <laughs> they, do, they do do that. 
That's you funny. Indeed. Yeah. And, and right. save your life, hopefully. <laughs> well, we kind of have to wrap things up here before we go cool. to overtime. It's so hard because we want to keep these conversations going and we get so invested in like. No, I think it was really great. It was so nice but... talking with you guys about all of this. We I loved everyone know. it was great. This was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. We, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love you guys. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Five stars on Yelp. <laughs> um, love that. <laughs> Let everyone know where to find you. And like absolutely like everyone listening, please watch this video because I freaking love it. And like if you share it, maybe someone will see it where it will impact them at a time that they need. And then I just I, I I can't, I like can't say this enough, but like I felt feelings when I watched this video and it's probably the best film I have seen this year. I'm going to say it like oh that. Wow. Thank you. That's what Amazing. I'm saying. <laughs> it's out there. Like I can preach everyone watch it and tell everyone where to find you, please. Thank you. Um, so really Instagram <laughs> at Steven Shaleski. I think they're going to have to, you're going to have to put that in there because people won't know how to spell it, but we got you right there and out west is just a few posts down you can watch the full thing on instagram or search out west on youtube and it's on steo my outerwear sponsors page um you can also find glimpses of it on k2's page and guayaki and noso patches and jackson hole mountain resort so yeah you did all, all the and i didn't even have to ask for them I love my it. Favorites, all my favorites. <laughs> and of course, Palisades Tahoe, who made that last scene happen. So maybe the most happy part of the movie was um, very grateful for the marketing team there. So, yeah. dreams. Yeah. That's bootable. Okay. Well, everybody, it's been a pleasure. It's another Monday. Hope we made your Monday a little bit less Monday because that's what we do. Um, thank you. <laughs> Will this be shared so on a Monday? <laughs> yes, every Monday at 6 a.m. People okay, wake great. up to it. <laughs> Excellent. It's going to be my alarm. So. Yes. <laughs> We're making Mondays are a new thing. Oh, my God. We should make an alarm. Get up, bitch. It's big stick energy. Just kidding. That's not going to be it. It's fine. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Stephen. This has been amazing. And uh, we will see you guys next Monday. Thanks, guys. Bye.